our Rev Divers. We are excited again to bring back Claire Ernst for your spill from the hill. And it is a perfect time to be talking about the spill from the hill because we've got some super exciting news for you guys. Welcome, Claire. How are you? I'm good. It's Friday. It's not raining. And we successfully <laughs> um, averted cuts to Medicare last night. Uh, so I am pretty, pretty good. I am super, super stoked because I have been having questions and Kim has been having like lots of conversations with people all over the nation about what is going on with PAYGO. Are we going to get this 4% cut and the conversion factor has gone down and just so much stress around the financial stability of their practice coming into 2022. And then there's this powerhouse piece of legislation that happened yesterday that really is driving all kinds of improvement and positive reinforcement for financial stability. And I'm hoping you can like dive into that for us and explain what that means to our rev divers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. So it's been a whirlwind of a week. Um, this all started earlier than this week because for months now we knew that, well, for longer than that, we knew that these cuts were coming. And so we've been trying to build momentum for months. Um, but we were successful earlier this week in getting a bill introduced in the House, which was subsequently passed. And then um, it was also passed in the Senate last night. And so what the bill does, just to break it down um, in terms of, because it, it's pretty, I mean, comprehensive. And so there's essentially four different payment pieces. Um, it's larger, it deals with the debt ceiling and some farmer sequester issues, but for our purposes, I will stick just to the Medicare stuff. And so what it does first um, is that it would, there was a, a cut that was supposed to be scheduled uh, that was stemming from the Medicare physician fee schedule conversion factor. Um, that cut, it's a cut in the sense where, um, I'm trying to think about how to like explain this in the easiest way. So basically, 3.75% was the cut that we were expecting the conversion factor. Instead of getting that, we are now going to have a 0.75% cut through the end of 2022. That cut happened in the first place because back in 2021, there were some positive uh, payment updates that took place for office visits, so for E&M visits. Um, and because those office visits were revalued and because Medicare is budget neutral, uh, and Medicare is basically like a zero sum game. If you make any increases, you have to make some decreases. And so when the visits went up, we had to experience a negative impact to the conversion factor, which just happens to be the, the, you know, the multiplier across the entire calculation. So it brought down a lot of visits. Um, Congress was generous enough last year to appropriate $3 billion into the conversion factor which in essence led to the 3.75% cut. So the good news is that the office visits um, are still, you know, they're still increased in value. Um, and we were asking for, <laughs> we had to ask basically for more money to be appropriated until we found a better long-term solution to this problem, which is going to happen essentially every single year until we do find that solution. And so that's the first piece of the legislation is that it would um, essentially mitigate 3% of that 3.75% cuts to the conversion factor. The second part of it 
deals with a statutory paygo, which is a um, basically any time that there is a lot of money that is uh, required for legislation that's passed. Um, so in this case, it was the American Rescue Plan Act, which was passed, I think, earlier in March. Um, that money has to be offset. Um, and so it's offset by triggering these essentially sequesters across certain spending. And so Congress can actually, um, it's sort of a loophole, they can actually waive <laughs> PAYGO. So they can essentially wipe the scorecard clean. However, they can't do that during reconciliation for procedural purposes. And so because the American Rescue Plan Act was passed through reconciliation, they couldn't put anything in there that said like, we're wiping the scorecard clean. Um, also, that legislation, as you probably know, was pretty uh, partisan, <laughs> and so there wasn't a ton of, you know, enthusiasm from the other, you know, one side of the aisle to wave this right away. And so we were getting a little panicky because this has, I mean, statutory paygo has never actually been triggered for Medicare, and so I just assumed it was going to get done. But we're kind of we were getting down on the wire, and it wasn't getting done. And the legislation that was moving was was another reconciliation bill, the Build Back Better Act, and we couldn't get it done in that. So fortunately, this legislation does prevent the 4% cut that would occur to, uh, due to PAYGO from going into effect through, yay. Yay, through the end of the year. So no, <laughs> like next year, we have to deal with it again. Um, and then another piece was the um, cuts to Medicare lab reimbursement. And so um, just a little bit about that. Anyone who has a physician office lab would wanna pay attention to this. Uh, the Protecting Access to Medicare Act, PMA that was passed in 2014, um, some of the policies in that law and in subsequent regulations basically um, redid the formula for data reporting and coming up with the calculation for reimbursement for labs, which led certain labs to potentially face up to 15% in cuts. And the CARES Act uh, last year that was passed, which was that major piece of legislation dealing with coronavirus aid, um, one of the many things that was in there delayed those cuts for a year. And so they were going to go back into effect at the end of this year, and now they're going to be delayed another year, um, which gives us, similarly to the other cuts, more time, another, like time for another bite of the apple to figure out how we're going to solve this in the future. And then the last piece is the 2% uh, Medicare sequester, which I'm sure just activates everybody when I use the word Medicare sequester. Yes, I am activated by that. Activate, activated. Trigger. Yeah, <laughs> trigger. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, in the Budget, Budget Control Act of 2011, um, put forward this Medicare sequester. So it's been almost, it's been in effect for almost 10 years. And basically it's a 2% cut on top of Medicare reimbursement. And it's something that, you know, I mean, in our opinion at MGMA, it is something that, um, you know, sequesters in general that have really nothing to do with Medicare, the fact that it's a, um, you know, Congress's inability to deal with budgetary affairs and then having to suffer the consequences uh, like 
you know, through Medicare is not something that we're particularly uh, fond of. And so we've been wanting to modify or reform Medicare sequester for a long time. During the COVID epidemic, um, which is still ongoing, for the CARES Act, there was a provision in there that would delay, so essentially put a moratorium on that 2% uh, going forward. And then there was subsequent legislation that extended that. And so we were part of the effort to continuously extend it. Um, the latest legislation that was passed earlier this year had it ending at um, the end of this year. So, we asked, um, along with many other stakeholders, the hospitals were very involved in this as well, we asked for it to be extended. And so we were granted that to some extent, um, we, so for basically from January through March, 2022, we will not have the 2% sequester. It is still gonna be on hold. From April to through June 2022, it's phased in at 1%. So you'll experience a 1% Medicare sequester. And then starting in July 2022 through the end of the year um, in ongoing, uh, it returns back to the 2%. And so although it's not exactly what we asked for in the sense where it's not <laughs> delayed indefinitely. We also didn't expect it to be delayed indefinitely because it's been a sequester that's been in effect for a very long time and it's going to require more than just continuously, um, you know, suspending it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we went from expecting to, on January 1st, 2022, to experience a 9.75% cut to Medicare, uh, not including cuts to labs. Um, we went from that to, to you know, now expecting a 0.75% cut to Medicare for January 1st. Um, and so although it doesn't solve everything, it is much better <laughs> than we were 24 hours ago. And um, it gives us an opportunity to work with Congress to come up with some more comprehensive workable solutions for the future. You know, something that I like to point out, not to panic people, but one of the reasons that the conversion factor dropped to 3.75, or one of the reasons that, you know, it dropped was because of the increases to the um, office visits, but also this G code that CMS developed, which was an add-on code for complex visits that they expected to be used virtually with every office visit. Um, this was a code that would be about 3.25% of the cut to the conversion factor, which when it was estimated at the time, you know, in fall of 2020, yeah, fall of 2020, before Congress appropriated that money, it was estimated that three, about 3% 3 of that 10% original cut to the conversion factor came from the G code. So the G code has been, yeah, so the G code has been delayed for three years. So 2021, two and three. So in 2024, it would in theory go live um, and that would paired with the, you know, cuts the conversion factor for the increase e &M visits, that's looking more like 7%. And so that with the fact that we're dealing with PAYGO again in a year and dealing constantly with sequester um, leads us to think, okay, well, like we're gonna have to <laughs> come up with some other solutions here. And um, Congress has been talking about 
the potential of reopening and discussing MACRA, uh, which reminder is the law that set up essentially the QPP um, with MIPS and APMs. And, you know, it's a system that, um, you know, is fraught with issues. There's a lot of burden associated with MIPS and the whole point of it, uh, a large part of macro is trying to incentivize practices and physicians to move from the MIPS program to APMs, to value-based care. Um, and in theory, you could guess that they wanted them to do that in the sixth year, like by 2021, because that's when the positive adjustment for MIPS like zeroed out. And now here we are going into 2022 and there's not nearly enough APMs. Um, there's not the opportunity to move into value-based care. And so that paired with these cuts that we're going to experience every year, let you know lends definitely lends itself to a larger conversation about medicare reform wow oh my gosh claire this is this is so helpful for for our rev divers thank you so much for sharing this information and, you know i i think it's also important for our rev divers to to stay not only aware of what's happening but advocate um, mm -hmm. on behalf of of their organizations um, you know, at that advocacy could certainly be, you know, from a legislative perspective, but also with within your organizations. Um, and, and when I think of advocacy, I'm thinking about the use of category three codes um, so that we are documenting, um, you know, services that need to be recognized. Right. Um, and then also, you know, looking at your fee schedules, analyzing them. Um, understanding what your revenue is going to look like when these payment when these payment cuts occur, thinking about you know ahead of time how are you going to start um, you know adjusting off for sequester payments right and and just kind of thinking about it from that perspective um, as we're looking into you know the the first and second quarters of 2022. That anything else that you know we should be on the lookout for? I know that you know there's a big telehealth, um, you know, push for behavioral health, and you know anything else that we need to to think about that's coming up on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's always there's always things coming up in the heart in the horizon for uh, for health policy. I think telehealth is a good thing to flag. Um, you know, there's been a lot of effort in Congress uh, to get telehealth expanded permanently to a point where almost I feel like every member of Congress like wants a piece of the pie and like has introduced <laughs> some form of legislation. There's a lot of repetition in some of these pieces of legislation. Um, I think that, you know, it's really very dependent and tied to the status of the public health emergency. So back in October, it was renewed. So it'll be renewed through um, like half of mid-January. Um, my own personal opinion is it'll get renewed again uh, with Omicron and the fact that a lot of people are going to be traveling for the holidays and, and cases are going up. Um, 
But, you know, I think that once we see the conclusion of tell, I mean, of the public health emergency kind of like on the horizon, I think that's when Congress is going to be more inclined to act. And when they do that, I think it's going to look kind of like the MedPAC, uh, not their official recommendation, but what they put in their report last year, which would be an extension for a period of time, perhaps one or two years while they gather data and they gather um, you know, on clinical outcomes, on cost to the program. Um, I mean, the, like Medicare trust fund is not overflowing. It doesn't overflow us with cash right now. And so I think once um, they get that information, then we can decide whether they'll decide whether or not they want to make it permanent. Um, so I think to answer your question, it might not happen in Q1 or Q2, but it's certainly something that they're paying a lot of attention to. And I expect to see something probably in the next year to address it. Wow. And do you think, what do you think is going to happen with this audio only telehealth? Because I've got to tell you, the more we're educating people about audio only, and yes, it was you know, we see some things in the final rule, but they're all for mental health and substance use disorder yeah. treatment. Um, I'm hearing a lot of frustration, particularly from rural providers. Do you see that continuing to be a conversation? Yeah, I do. I do see it. Um, there's been legislation introduced that MGMA helped work on to have CMS cover those codes past the public health emergency expiration, which is something they expressed that they didn't want to do other outside of, of, of mental health. Fortunately, they changed the definition of telecommunications um, within their regulation and they modified it and they were specific to mental health. But the fact that like a year ago, me like angrily writing in our comments that we thought that it was in their regulatory authority to change that definition and them saying no, like we've always interpreted telehealth as, you know, two-way face audio. And then the fact that they did it, you know, this year, uh, all that it's just for mental health, but that's a step in the right direction because they are starting to, I think, accept that that is something that is needed. Um, I think part of the piece will be the payment parity piece and how much you can be paid and reimbursed for those codes and how like attainable, you know, or how sustainable that will be to your practice. But um, we intend to continue to push for audio only outside of just mental health visits because we do think it's incredibly important in rural areas. And uh, the more information we can get on that, the better our chances are of doing it. I mean, I think a lot of practices in rural areas have, I mean, I've seen, I've heard anecdotally and seen some data where practices will start visits as a telehealth visit and then they'll lose connection for whatever reason and it becomes an audio only visit. And so if that's happening, you know, it, it's just, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. So I think there is momentum, especially from uh, members of Congress in rural areas um, who are hearing about it. And so if that's something that is important to you in your practice and you live in, especially if you live in a rural area, I recommend getting in contact with your member of Congress, members of Congress um, and providing them with any data or anecdotes you may have. That's awesome. You know, the, the, the other thing that I think is going to be top of mind for medical practices would be um, vaccine administration mm -hmm. and doing that within medical practices. Do you, do you see any, you know, anything that, that you may want to share that you've, you've heard on the Hill related to, to COVID-19 vaccine administration? 
I haven't heard a ton about administration. Right now, the conversation is <laughs> mostly uh, around um, mandates <laughs> for administering mm. vaccines. And so that's something that we've been keeping an eye on just in the sense where, you know, our members need to know whether or not um, it's it's mandated <laughs> or not. And as of right now, every single, uh, there's, technically three different rules for if you include the healthcare ETS that's supposed to expire in a week and a half. Um, yeah. But they're all without with the exception of the healthcare ETS, the other three are all stayed. Uh, so basically on hold pending uh, further litigation developments. And so like my own personal opinion is that um, they're not all going to make it through <laughs> uh, just based off of the court composition. Um, but uh, we will we will definitely see. It probably will not happen while well, we pass the first deadline for all of them or for two of them. So, yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask about the OSHA ETS because I was uh, speaking to it, teaching to it, updating my slides. And literally from one week to the next, there was this massive change on the website and big red letters like stop this has been totally halted mm -hmm. um right now and so i didn't know if you had a, a quick comment on what that whole thing was because i was kind of surprised to see like wait stop um i yeah. know there was a lot of frustration when it first came out and yeah. Um, yeah. So I, was, I was surprised but a little pleased to see that they were like okay hold on we need to think it all the way through yeah, so they did that because um, there were there were a lot of lawsuits specifically on that mandate, and so it originally went to the Fifth Circuit of Appeals, and they stayed it. And then because there were this is I mean this is like my nerdy legal side, like I think this is really interesting. There are so many lawsuits that they had to essentially like put them into a lottery system and then choose a court like randomly to decide the fate of it. And it turns out that it was the sixth court, which is largely conservative. Um, and so it's in the hands of the sixth court right now. And that is why uh, OSHA and the Department of Labor decided to, you know, put out that notice that you know, they're putting on pause because they need to see what happens, um, but they are defending it. And they do think that, you know, they have a case to defend it. And so it's possible that that case, no matter whether it is the stay continues or they reverse it, personally seems unlikely. Um, it could go to the Supreme Court and they could take it up there, but none of this stuff happens incredibly quickly. And so uh, I think we're just going to have to kind of stay tuned. Yeah, listen, we cannot wait to have you back again. Um, there's, there's obviously going to be much more to come. Um, Claire, thank you so much for you know sharing your expertise and your time with us and our rep divers. Um, this has been super helpful. Um, you know, until we meet again, rep divers, keep diving into those rep cycles. We'll see you again next time.